1: this is wheel bearings i'm dan roth
2: and i'm sam abu al so
1: there's been a little while we had some travel there were some shows uh sam you were out at the uh, nvidia thing while new york was going on and, and i was at work S- <laughs> so i didn't go anywhere slacker yeah right exactly um but we have a, a bunch of interesting things to, to talk about because there was uh, you know those events and they companies like to announce things at events.
2: Uh, that's what they're that's what events are for.
1: But f- first, uh we shall get into what we're driving. So what have you been in?
2: Well, uh, before I headed out to California last week, I was driving the uh, 2018 Honda Accord uh, Touring 2.0 T uh, and the the new Accord, uh, which I think is like the ninth or 10th generation Accord. I don't know. It's who who counts anymore. Um, Anyway, it came out last year and uh, it won the uh, North American car of the year in January. And um, it's it's a really good car. And Uh, nobody's buying it. yeah, well, I mean, nobody's buying any of the midsize sedans, unfortunately. Yeah. Um, or cars in general, uh, but you know, I mean, this is, uh, you know, it's it's. Pro- I would say right now, the Accord is probably the best car in the segment. Uh, of course, you know, next week, who knows? You know, when something new comes out, uh, but uh, for now, you know, it's it's a fantastic car. You know, this time around, um, when Honda redid this Accord. They um, they dropped the coupe. Um, you know the the sedan now has more quote unquote coupe like styling. Um, you know, so it's basically you know it's a fastback design like the Civic uh, sedan. Uh, they did, and uh, it's got. Uh, four-cylinder engines only this time around. So, there's uh, the 1.5-liter turbo from the Civic and a 2-liter turbo, which is basically a detuned version of the engine in the Civic Type R uh, with, I think, 252 horsepower, uh, 265 or so foot-pounds of torque. And um, it's a great engine. And and the amazing thing is, you can actually get an Accord with that 2-liter turbo engine and a 6-speed manual gearbox with three full pedals. Um, unfortunately, the one I had did not have the manual transmission. It was uh, it was the new 10-speed automatic, which debuted on the Odyssey last year. Well, so at but least that, it
1: wasn't the CVT.
2: No, no. Um, the CVT is only available with the 1.5-liter. Uh so if you get the 2 liter you get this 10 speed uh which is a really great transmission you know for for an automatic um it, you know shifts are completely seamless um you know the touring uh version that I had had uh, paddles on the on the steering wheel so you can do manual shifting if you are so inclined uh, but you know, the, the the engine, you know, has plenty of torque, um, you know, more than enough get up and go uh, for anything you're going to want to do. And, you know, if you want something a little bit sportier, you know, you, I think if you go with the, uh, the Accord Sport 2.0 T, um, you know, you're that's about as close as you're going to get to, a, you know, an Accord Type R for the foreseeable future.
1: Well, and the Sport is going to be sporty enough for just about anyone. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I, and I, I do like they—they seem to have gotten a little looser with the the specifications this time, so you can even get uh, a non-sport Accord equipped in a, a way that will please the driver. Because the part of the problem with the Accord Sport in the past has been it was really limited uh, in in terms of even the color, and that was how it was possible. I think for for a large degree, just because they they limit all the various um versions and and that made it affordable enough to build and to sell uh honda has a pretty tight eye on the bottom line maybe more so i think than, than other automakers because they're smaller so they they tend not to make stuff that they can't make money on
2: yeah well i mean the you know H- honda and and also toyota as well have have always been um Pretty tight in terms of the number of buildable combinations you can get, um, and you know that's a pattern that we're now starting to see copied by other manufacturers. You know, Ford is is definitely moving in that in that direction on the 2019 Fusion, the Refresh Fusion. I think they're down to um, like something like 32 buildable combinations uh down from hundreds of thousands. Well, I think that uh, probably makes room
1: though. Yeah. That that probably makes room for like the F150 that has like 43 million <laughs> different <laughs> well, ways to configure it.
2: That's not it's not exaggerated. I think it's only 12 million.
1: Okay. <laughs> Either way, like I but th- there's there's that part of it, but um yeah, th- by limiting I think limiting the the buildable combinations it's it's smart in a way, right? Like y- you don't buy any other thing sort of quite as customized other than maybe a house or you don't go yeah. buy a fridge, like, like, you know, with, with option packages.
2: Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, you know, the, the fewer, the fewer different build combinations you have, the easier, you know, certainly the easier it is to guarantee, you know, consistency, you know, consistent quality of the builds, um, you know, and it also, it makes it easier uh, you know, for the, Uh, For the dealers, you know, they they don't have to worry about stocking as many different variations. And, you know, the reality is even when you have hundreds of thousands or millions of build combinations, there's usually only a few dozen that account for, you know, typically, you know, upwards of 95 percent of all the actual builds that happen. Right. Uh, You know, so, you know, by getting rid of, you know, all those edge cases where there's, you know, they sell, you know. Twenty or thirty of them in a model year, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, it it just simplifies everything, you know, all the way down the supply chain.
1: Well, Uh, yeah, the dealers are only going to order the cars that they know they can sell. For the most part, they may do one or two oddballs, but yeah, in general, they're not going to they're not going to go for stuff that that can't be sold. So it makes sense to just trim those right out of the lineup.
2: Right, and you know, part of the reason, and you know, that's that's of course part of the a big part of the reason why. Um, You know, so so few build combinations account for such a high percentage of the sales because particularly here in the U.S., very few people actually, you know, custom order a car. Anyway, the vast majority of customers that buy cars just walk into the showroom, you know, and, you know, they buy one off out of the dealer inventory or worst case, they might have, you know, if they're looking for a particular um, package, but with a different color, um, you know, they might have a dealer, you know, do a dealer locate and you know swap a car with another another dealer, you know. But in general, they the vast majority of cars in the U.S. are sold right out of dealer inventory. And so that's why they order, you know, only the ones that they're confident that they can actually sell.
1: Yeah. So. Our little dealer uh, sort of ordering uh, aside uh, is over now. <laughs> <laughs> what did you think of the car, though? Because to me, the the Accord is this generation of Accord is kind of like a, a return to what has classically made the Accord great. I think it's a lot sharper looking than at least the last two generations, if not three generations of the car. It, it's a, you know it, it's still kind of conservative, but it's it's delicately styled and and just it looks like a Honda. And I don't know what yeah. it is that makes it look like a Honda.
2: No, I, I agree. You know, I think it's it's definitely got a more uh, modern look to it. It's it's a sleek look. It's not as conservative looking as the last couple of generations, you know, which were more upright sedan designs. Um, you know, the interior, you know, I think is, is, you know, Honda's always, you know, generally done a, a pretty good job on their interiors. And, and that is true again of, of this one, you know, and, and this new Accord, uh, you know, Finally, you know finally ditches the uh, the dual screen setup that they've had on the past generation accord um, so you now have just a single touchscreen you know up in the top and it's you know one of these um, you know more like a, a tablet style where the, the screen is not embedded right into the dashboard so it sits up a little bit higher uh, you know which which means it's closer to your your line of sight you don't have to look as far down for it um, Either the model, I, you know, the one I had was a touring model, which is the high-end trim level. Uh, so it was basically, you know, uh, loaded up with just about everything, uh, including a heads-up display. Um, you know, it had the Honda Sensing on it. Well, actually, Honda Sensing package is standard equipment on mm-hmm. the Accord for 2018. So you get things like adaptive cruise control and a lane-keeping system.
1: That's every Accord, um, not just the
2: that's, Touring? That's on 100% of 2018 Accords wow um so you get the, you get that no matter what you know if you buy the basic ex model all the way up to the the top end touring model you get those you get those features on there is that which is um, great
1: is that the uh, camera based system like Subaru does or is it uh... no
2: it, it's uh the lane keeping is camera based the adaptive cruise control is a radar uh cruise control system huh so one thing that's that interestingly is not included in the the standard package is is the blind spot monitoring, uh, but that's available as part of a separate package, which you know uh, you know is unfortunate because I think that's actually a very useful feature, um, and if anything, I would take the the blind spot monitor over the the lane keeping system, <coughs> but you know that's. Yeah, and that's actually the approach that Ford is taking with their co-pilot package that they're making standard on the Fusion this year, uh, for tw- or for 2019, is they're going with, uh, or actually they're going with lane keeping uh, and collision alert and the blind spot monitor, and you pay extra, you, you can buy the adaptive cruise control separately. Uh, Honda and Toyota both have the adaptive cruise control and lane keeping as standard with the blind spot monitor as a separate standalone option. So. <laughs> Yeah. You
1: know, it's enough to whatever. make your head spin. Do they they yeah. don't they're not doing um have they finally decided not to do that lane watch nonsense?
2: Oh yeah, lane lane watch is history. I mean it's it's still on the Civic uh until it gets its mid-cycle refresh, but you know like for example and that may well be for the 2019 <laughs> models uh because the uh the new insight that uh, debuted in production form last last week in New York um, is based on the Civic and it has it, it ditches lane watch as well and goes to uh, a, a proper radar blind blind spot monitor system.
1: I mean, to be fair, it was a, it was a try. It was, you know, worth seeing. It was a swing and started. a
2: miss. But, yeah. you know, yeah. What are you going to do?
1: Yeah. Um, so, and so you had the Touring, so that has the adaptive dampers. and It must have driven pretty well.
2: Oh, yeah, it was it was fantastic. Um, you know, you've got the, you know, normal and sport and comfort modes. Uh, and uh, it's, you know, it's quick, um, very nimble feeling, you know, for, for you know, what is, you know, a pretty large sedan. You know, the, I think the one thing that I would have preferred to see honda do with this is kind of go the same direction that uh, buick has done with the new regal which is you know since you've got this fastback design just make it a hatchback you know it's yeah you know i mean it's got a decent sized trunk opening but you know if i'm gonna have a car this shape i would just as soon have the whole rear end lift up you know so you know if i've got really big objects you know i can get them in there but aside from that, you know it's it's really impressive. I, I I really like this car, and the you know the one I drove was about thirty five thousand dollars because like I said, it was the it was the the, the top end touring model. It was loaded with pretty much everything, um, but you can get the the base LX uh, starting at twenty three twenty three six, um, you know and. Then it goes up from there. Uh, but the the sport, uh, you can get the sport 2.0 T for um, for about 30 for just under thirty thousand dollars, which I think is a really good bargain. The the one thing you don't get in the in the sport um, is leather seats. Uh, it does come with cloth seats, uh, but, you know. I think that's you know I could live with that. If if I was if I was going to be buying an Accord, that's probably the one I would go with is the 2.0 manual transmission uh sport.
1: Well, and you know that's something that uh is such a personal decision anyway. Like some people love leather, some people don't. I don't know. It it seems like either way you're going to displease one group of people, unless you offer both, and then all you know your costs are higher and eh, whatever. Um,
2: Yeah, so I mean that's 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 you know that's that's how you keep those number of buildable combinations down is you start to you you make some hard decisions about you know which which package which combinations are you actually going to build and you know in honda's case they decided okay we're going to build a sport with the two liter turbo and a manual transmission but you're not going to get an automatic with or you're not going to get leather with it yeah it does have you know a sunroof but no leather
1: i do think it's it's um i, I don't know I, I think it's it's kind of funny that the the sport uh, i don't know I, I guess it's it's still kind of a not not trying to be like this sort of like BMW or, or accurate kind of thing where there's that that like little bit of luxury. It's 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 more of like an old school sort of like sporty car. Like it's it's entertaining to drive, but it's still kind of basic. You know? Well,
2: you know, it, certainly I think in the case of the Civic Sport, it is more basic because the Civic Sport, um, you know, is based on the the base level uh, EX Civic EX uh, model or. LX, the LX, um, you know, and it just adds bigger wheels, you know, a few extra horsepower, things like that. Um, the in the case of the Accord Sport, it does have some additional amenities in there, uh, so you know, you, you do you do get you know things like a, you know the nice audio system and and some other features in there, and of course, it does have the the Honda Sensing package is standard on there, so I think. I think you know it's it's a it's a really good compromise, especially you know if you get the uh, the two liter over the one point five, um, and you know the audio system. You know, I talked about the screen; it does have both uh, rotary volume and tuning knobs on it, um, uh, I, and supports Android Auto and CarPlay.
1: Yeah, and so that's an upgrade though the standard, the LX, and the hybrid don't have that audio system. They have, or at least they don't have Apple CarPlay and Android Auto as standard at least from what I can see, maybe I'm wrong on that, but it seems like that's, that's not necessarily a standard feature on the accord. You have to actually bump up to get it. Or, or at least.
2: Yeah. I think you have to um, maybe not. I, it I can, looks like it's got the, I'm looking at the LX interior and it looks like it has the, uh, the same, um, the same uh, display touchscreen display yeah. radio. And
1: like in pictures, it looks beautiful. It looks good uh i don't know how it is i mean you you lived with it how is it in in operation
2: it's it's great uh you know it's like i said it's very fun to drive um you know it's uh you know everything works really well it's it i think it's just a really well sorted out car it's it's what we have traditionally expected of hondas um you know Executed perfectly. Yeah, I, I had I really had no complaints about this car.
1: Not even like certainly nobody misses the dual screens, but they they managed to not screw that up. Going to a single because Honda has not yeah, been the, typically great at Info.
2: Yeah the the new the new audio system um, you know the upgraded audio system is, is considerably more powerful. You know, like I said, it doesn't have the um, the the touch sc- you know the touch controls for volume, and you know it's got the physical physical knobs. Um, it's significantly more responsive uh the interface is a lot lot better looking uh than you know for example the one in our civic um you know so you know i, I i'm hard i'm hard pressed to come up with any real complaints about this car
1: yeah except for it's a sedan and nobody's buying them <laughs>
2: well, i mean to me that's not a complaint well i guess the the one complaint i've had i had is you know that i would just as soon it be a hatchback uh, yeah, yeah. but you know other than that you know there's there's not much else to complain about it
1: well i mean it's a it's a pretty tight range too you mentioned prices you know it it starts at like 23 and yours is optioned up it's the the top of the range at 35 like you can push a fusion well into or at least pretty solidly depending on the fusion into the 40s Um, oh
2: yeah i mean if you if you go you know with the um the fusion platinum you know, or the sport you can you can get up to about 40 grand without uh, without trying too hard
1: yeah and as, as good a car as that is because the fusion's a good car mm-hmm. uh, it, it's not anywhere near as pleasing to drive as even the last uh last accord I was in where it they just they feel like two different things and uh I know which one I would prefer
2: <laughs> yeah no I, I, I would definitely uh choose the accord over the fusion
1: so' we'll, we'll see how that shakes out I mean I, I think that Given all the accolades it's gotten, it's it's going to be hard to beat. In part because, uh, at least from a driver's perspective, I mean, uh, I, I don't know that any other automaker really has the stomach for it. And honestly, they don't they probably don't need to? Uh, given where everybody's going, they need to put their energy into where the people are buying right now and that's crossovers you know c- sedans and, that, and that's
2: you know that's what honda and, and everybody else is doing yeah you know they, they are they're going in that direction you know with crossovers you know we're going to see more crossovers from both the honda and acura brands um you know and i'm just looking at the the specs the specs and features uh for the accord and you're right the the base LX model does not get Android Auto and CarPlay support, so it's it's a little less feature capable version of the audio system. It it looks, uh, looks the same, the same yeah. but it's uh, it's got less features in it. And then from the sport on up all the, all the others. So basically everything except the very lowest end base LX have Android auto and CarPlay support. And one of the other things that they've uh, got in here, which uh, granted is also in some uh, I've, I've experienced it in the, um, Uh, in some mercedes cars as well is there's a little uh, nfc reader built into the dashboard uh, just to the left of the radio so if you're not using android auto or carplay uh, if you have a phone that has nfc built into it um, to set up bluetooth all you do is just hold your phone next to that little nfc logo on the dashboard and it will automatically pair it for you, so you don't have to go through all the pairing rigmarole.
1: Oh, that's what that weird little icon thing is on the dash. Yeah,
2: yeah, that's that's the NFC uh, reader, and huh. um, Mercedes Benz has that on several of their models now. And Honda is the first mainstream one that I'm aware of that does that. So if all you want to do is just is just pair pair your phone with Bluetooth and not use the the other stuff, you can uh, you just tap it on there. Um, it, assuming your phone has NFC, just tap. It on there and it will automatically pair.
1: My last phone had an I don't even know if my current one does. I'd, I'd have to look. Um, huh. I mean, that, that's cool. I, it's also available in, in a wide array of grays and whites. There's also
2: a red and a blue.
1: <laughs> there are. And there's a black. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just, Although I'm know, I strongly recommend off.
2: you choose either the red or the blue because you know you you want it to stand out.
1: It's just so funny. It's like you've got white orchid, lunar silver, modern steel.
2: I know. Champagne yeah, frost. Don't, don't even get me started on this. You know, ridiculously monochromatic color palette that car makers are offering now.
1: Listen, there's, um, there's um, kind and, of and Honda's is
2: as bad as anybody on that.
1: Well, you can get a brown. It it does look. It looks. Uh, it's sort.
2: It's 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 a grayish brown.
1: Is it? Yeah. Yeah. I
2: mean, it's it's a pretty gray brown.
1: It's. It, it's going to look good in that red, though, that red with the the, the,
2: the the blue is also really good.
1: Yeah,
2: I like I like the blue. I'm, I'm partial to the blue. Uh, but the, the one I had was one of the grays, um, <laughs> which is, it, well, of course, you know, it's it's gray. What are you what are you going to say?
1: Yeah. Well, hey, I also had a gray car this week. So that,
2: oh, yeah. what was, did you have?
1: I had a uh, uh, it was it was gray like a battleship and it was about the same size. Uh, <laughs> I had a BMW 740 E. Which is it's a new, I guess it's a new 740 model for 2018, but it's basically a hybrid, uh, plug-in hybrid. Um,
2: uh, actually, they've they've had the seven, they've had the the plug-in hybrid for a year or two because I had one about a year ago.
1: Okay, so um, I it was my first introduction to it. It was like, oh yeah, I forgot they were going to do that because you know you pay more attention than i do apparently um and it was like it's the high, job. It, yeah it's it's the high end uh 7 series so you know you they all kind of blend together after a while you go oh yes that's a big car i can't afford um <laughs> it's a it's a lovely lovely vehicle uh it just really 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 impressive uh i came away astounded at how how well done it is um you know for a company that resisted hybrids and electrification for so long BMW makes a really good hybrid (laughs) the last last couple ones I've driven I've really liked the way they drive Um,
2: yeah you know and it's kind of odd to think of a car that big you know powered by a two liter four cylinder engine
1: yeah and that but that's so I was thinking about this as I was driving it today too it's like you know I don't mind it. I, I came up on European cars at a time when it wasn't uncommon for even the top end of a model, you know, of the range to have a four cylinder, but this is the first, I think first four cylinder powered seven series in the U S market. They might've had four cylinders in the sevens before, but generally they've been sixes or eights or 12s, (laughs) not, not fours. Um, But if you don't like four cylinders, you're not going to like it here because you can hear it. It's, it's it's not obtrusive. It's, it's very muted, but it's there. Other than that, you don't, you don't really feel it. It's not buzzy. This is, it's a very smooth car. It's very well isolated with the, the hybrid powertrain too. You certainly never feels like it lacks any power. Uh, it, It moves off quite smartly. It's, it's very satisfying To drive, I guess unless you're going to drive it like a like like it's a sports sedan, because it's it's definitely a cruiser. Um, It's it's not the BMW for for fast driving attempts. You know, it's it's, well
2: anything this long is yeah, and it's it's going to be a a bit of a a cruiser.
1: Well, what what surprised me was how uh, how nimble it feels, and it you can feel the rear wheel steering working. Um, It's just like that subtle way that it, it messes with your head because it rotates in a way that it's not supposed to, <laughs> you know, you're like, well, what's going on? We're we're turning much tighter because it almost feels like you've broken the rear end loose because you're getting that, that little bit of, of rear steering. And it's not like passive rear steering where some cars, you know, you lean on them a little bit and the, the uh, what's the big word, elasto kinematics are set up so that it, it, once you get that weight transfer, then things start to flex. It just it has a, like a little steering rack back there. <laughs> it just turns the wheels and the car just turns. It rotates it around a different point. It's it's a little weird, but it's also impressive because it makes the car shrink in terms of, of how it feels uh, when you drive it. And so I, I liked that a lot. It's actually quite pleasing to drive on, on a windy road. I wouldn't suggest pushing it too much because, you know, in 740 e-trim, it's heavy. It has probably more body roll than any other seven series. Um, still really well behaved though. You know, it has standard air suspension. So it, it just glides over everything. I mean, they make such a good luxury car. <laughs> it's, they do. I mean, the, the only place really to go from here is, is Rolls Royce and BMW happens to own that too. So
2: yeah. Well, I mean, Rolls Royces are, are based off of seven series platforms. So.
1: Yeah. It, I mean, it's, it's a really, I, I, I was calling it, uh, I, and I suck at German because I never took any German class, but I think it's called a Das Kaiser Panzer. Which it's basically <laughs> just like the, the the Kaiser's tank, you know, and that's what it really yeah. is. Um, it just feels, you know, like it's, it, it just glides over road imperfections, but not in the way that, you know, the, like a town car would where it's just floats. It doesn't float. You, you feel it absorb stuff and it just, it settles. It's really... Um, really quite planted. Um, it, it, there were a couple of things I wasn't so enraptured with. Um, you know, for such a good highway car, I thought the fuel tank was kind of small because I found that I was only getting about 320 miles um, between refueling. I, think. I put about... Well,
2: you have to make room for the battery.
1: Yeah, and, and they that's, that's where it is. It eats the trunk from, I think, the standard 7 Series trunk is like 18 cubic feet and it's down to about 15, which is... Still a good size, but it's you know for the size of the car, it's it's you know it's a noticeable bite out of the the trunk, um, and you know it cruises so well on the highway. Every three hundred something miles, you got to stop, I and mean, I, I put about eleven gallons, ten or eleven gallons in it. So I was I was surprised it it doesn't have that much capacity. But on the other hand, uh it's not too bad to get out and stretch your legs either. Yeah. Um, you know the materials and design on it are just just outstanding. Every detail has been been fussed over. It, it's it's kind of that what's always made big BMWs great. Even back to my favorites of the E thirty eights of the sevens. You know they're just big high tech flagships. They they really they do deserve uh, the name. But with that comes some of the BMW stuff now. That has the capacity to drive you a little crazy. You know the way they've redesigned the automatic transmission shifter, so you would have to actually push it forward if you want to engage reverse. Which it, it's still like for me, it's cognitive dissonance. Um, the, some of the times the door handles require two pulls because it's it's locked, and you pull it once, and then it's like nine, and you pull it again, and it goes <laughs> okay.
2: <laughs> if you insist, yeah. If you must get out,
1: and the, I the, will let you out. The fob is so. Big.
2: <laughs> well, and I think here in the US, we don't even have um, the the version of the fob that's available in Europe. They have one like in Europe. You can get the seven series with a fob that actually has a touch screen on it to do things like uh, the remote parking. They ha- They offer a remote parking system. Uh, that they don't offer here yet for various liability reasons.
1: Yeah. So it, it did have a touch screen because I could set it. I oh,
2: so yours had a touch screen? It,
1: it didn't have the like go park yourself kind of thing, but it had okay. the, um, it did have a touch because it was playing with it to set the preconditioning, um, okay. which is nice. You know, you plug it into, it's, it's a plug in hybrid. I think it has like a nine something kilowatt hour battery in it. So it doesn't give you a ton of range. Um,
2: it's, about, it's good for about 14 miles. Yeah.
1: Something like that, and you can you can actually you know there's different modes so you can save the battery for like in town driving and and stuff uh, so you're not just wasting it on that first little bit of highway where the car is going to do okay anyway. Um, so so some of that stuff is nice, but like the fob is the size of a flip phone. It's enormous. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's just like how do you put that in your pocket? Where do you? Where, where do you stick it? Uh, and you know, like, I wanted it to have like other features. Like I certainly with a fob that big, I should be able to call somebody and should have like snake on it. So when I'm bored in a store or something <laughs> I can, like But whatever, uh, I, I think that's, that's probably a thing. We're either going to go with just big fobs or the access cards or something. There's not going to be any middle ground. It's going to be either big ob- big and obnoxious or, or small and, and elegant.
2: Um, so speaking of monochromatic color palettes, yeah. um, I'm, I'm looking at the PMW USA website right now. The build, the build, uh, build, and price for the seven series, and you know, I mean, this is even less vibrant in terms of colors than the uh, than Honda's palette. Oh yeah, you have your choice of carbon, carbon black metallic, <laughs> uh, black sapphire metallic, uh, cashmere silver metallic, which is a, a slightly slightly champagne tinted silver glacier silver
1: i think that's what Um, this one is i don't know maybe this is this is more of a gray. yeah it's hard to tell
2: imperial blue which might as well be black Um, dark graphite metallic which might as well be black black alpine white (laughs) Um, mineral white (laughs) singapore gray J- uh, jatoba brown which is actually the only one that actually really looks like a color uh, and the one I, the the 740 i had last year was in fact brown um uh, and then there's magellan gray uh, arctic gray and
1: uh jet black <laughs> all of the it's grays like, <laughs> yes uh yeah but you know like i think that's part of that is the the bmw thing they know that people want them in those colors but they're, they're also selective about sort of the, the difference, you know, the, the subtle differences.
2: Uh, well, well the, the, the thing about BMW, though, especially like with, you know, the high-end models, like the 7 Series, you can go into a BMW dealer and they have their individual program. Yeah. And so if you want a different color, they will happily build you one in whatever color you want, even if it's something that they've never built before. You know, if you want to match, you know, match your, your uh, sofa in your living room, uh, or match, you know, your, your girlfriend's hair color, you know, just bring us a a sample in and they will color match it and they will paint it whatever color you want for a suitable, you know, premium, um, you know, and, and put, you know, whatever color leather or any other material on the seats, you know, again, for a suitable upcharge, um, you know so that you know and the same thing applies to all of the the german brands you know uh mercedes benz will do this and and audi um you know or or you know of course you know rolls and uh bentley and and those guys as well uh so you know you're not limited to what's in the catalog
1: no not at all but so the thing that i think astounded me the most was like this is is it's really i didn't like the 5 series i thought oh, okay so the clearly the five series that we have now is, is really sounding the death knell for the sports sedan. Um, You know, for anybody who is a fan of like the E 39 or the E 34, the the new five. series. it's just this bloated kind of big thing. Uh, But the seven series was never really supposed to be that kind of a sports sedan. Anyway, it was always a larger cruiser. So this car just feels wholly appropriate. It it's it is big. It's it's um big and yet rigid and uh it still performs pretty well when you want it to. There's the engineering is all over it, you know, in terms of just you know, that's how they built their, their brand. Uh so you look around and you can see all of the, the touches where you know there's there's those pass-throughs um from the front air dam. You can look and there's there's the duct that makes this little bubble around the wheels for aerodynamics and just all of those things everywhere you look there's just it's been it's been attended to and that's when you're spending ninety nine thousand dollars uh which i thought was kind of a bargain for what you get in in terms of the way the car has been just fussed over and and really well done uh certainly not cheap but you know consider the competitive set i didn't think it was that bad of a deal uh it's it's it it feels like it's worth it you know um Maybe I was just very smitten this week, but uh, <laughs> I I was impressed with it. Uh, and it has the, the BMW ADAS stuff, which is, you know, it's fantastic. Their dynamic cruise control is probably some of my favorite. Anytime I get a BMW, I know that the dynamic cruise is going to be really good, uh, really well tuned. It's it's not going to be jerky. It's going to be very smooth. It's going to handle stop and go traffic really well. Uh, it, it's just it, they they know how to make it just work (laughs) you know (laughs) um i did try the lane keeping as as well uh i didn't find that um as confidence inspiring as uh i would like you know it basically oscillates from the left extremity of a lane to the right extremity of lane it kind of wanders back and forth a little bit and it's just correcting every time it detects how close it is to the the lines, it, it adds in a little correction. Um, so you, you kind of go down the road, like a little sinusoid, sinusoidal kind of side to side thing. Uh, it, but it works and you do have to keep a hand on the wheel. Uh, so I got to sort of questioning why you, why would you want that? Because you're either going to, you either want that stuff so you can mentally disengage or uh, so it saves you. And I, and I guess, you know, and it still has the steering intervention as like that, that fail I, I wound up shutting all that stuff off just so it wouldn't fight me, but, uh, you can have the steering intervention without having the, the lane keeping. And, and I think that's okay. But if you have the lane keeping, you're, you're kind of sending the message to the driver, like, yeah, yeah, you don't have to quite as, you know, pay as quite as much attention. And I think that that's a, that's dangerous and B, if you can't really do it, you shouldn't. Um, like if it's not good enough for you to, to ignore it, then it shouldn't be in the car, I guess. I, mean,
2: I, I couldn't agree more on that. And, you know, I mean, I've, I've written about that numerous times now, you know, in various places on our company blog at Navigant Research. I've written about it on Forbes and I've done, you know, one of my columns for Automotive Engineering magazine was on that on that very topic of, you know, kind of these intermediate. Automation systems that you know they, they fall into this uncanny valley of you know they're you can't rely on them enough to you know to be able to really tune out, and yeah. as a result, you end up you know become I think a lot of time you know it, it works just enough that you can become complacent. And then you know, then you end up getting in trouble, which you know maybe is a good point to jump into one of the, the topics um, that we had tonight, which is another autopilot related death, um, you know, uh, with you know a, a driver in um, in California, you know, driving a Tesla Model X uh, about a week and a half ago, uh, ran into uh, a, a center median, a, you know, a concrete barrier uh, in Mountain View. And you know the car, you know, um, it was in autopilot mode. Tesla, you know, over the weekend acknowledged that the car was in fact running in autopilot mode, um, and the uh, National Transportation Safety Board is investigating this one right now. Uh, the The driver had apparently complained, you know, about the system not really working reliably, um, you know, beforehand, you know, and had taken it into the dealer, and they said, well, there's nothing, you know. There's nothing wrong with this. It's working as it's supposed to, which, you know, I think is is a you know, that's the fundamental issue here. But there's also another issue in that, you know, in the, the statement that Tesla put out, you know, they said that the driver had been alerted and, you know, did not have his hands on the wheel at the time of the crash and you know, had been alerted to put his hands on the wheel. And, you know, this is a problem that a lot of drivers of these cars, you know, when they get into trouble, that's why they're getting into trouble, because Aside from Cadillac Super Cruise, every single one of these systems is designed to be hands-on. You are not supposed to take your hands off the wheel. Listen, everybody out there. There are no self-driving cars that you can buy today. Tesla Autopilot, Mercedes Intelligent Drive, Volvo Pilot Assist, none of them can drive themselves. Keep your hands on the wheel, pay attention to the road. The systems are designed to assist you. They are not designed to take over. And, you know, while... You know clearly, you know the the system, you know, failed to do even its its basic job in this particular instance. Of you know, keep, you know, the auto steer system did not keep the car in the middle of the lane like it's supposed to. the The fact is, you know, the driver, you know, had experienced this before, knew that it was a problem, and yet continued to use the autopilot system and continued to take his hands off the wheel. You know, so you know, I, I think. You know, I think it's it's Tesla, you know, basically needs to disable the system until they get it sorted out, because, you know, from talking to people that own uh, various Teslas with with autopilot on there, um, you know, it's clearly not sufficiently robust to be relied on. And so it should be disabled. And but if you do have it, you know, if it tells you to put your hands on the wheel, put your hands on the wheel, no matter what brand of car it is.
1: Yeah. So there's a couple of things going on here, too, though, like Tesla has done such a terrible job at any time there's an incident. And this this one, too, you know, they waited to verify whether or not autopilot was engaged. They dropped it on a Friday night for whatever sort of diversionary tactic or just to to hopefully bury it or just have it not get picked up. Um, It just they're not helping themselves appear transparent. Whether they are or not, I. They're just, yeah,
2: they're they're providing you know um, false transparency.
1: Yeah, and, and beyond that, um, if if I'm an automaker, and my product is involved in an incident, especially an incident where there's a fatality, I'm going to have a a, a, a well tuned response to that. And I just haven't seen that from Tesla. It's they're just they're sloppy, they're all over the place and. You know, that's that's disturbing, I think, to, to, to just see, you know, that if if this happened with, you know, General Motors or, you know, I'm trying to even Mitsubishi, <laughs> you know, I'm trying yeah. to think of like a small automaker. Uh, they would have a much more buttoned up response to this. Just, you know, our teams are looking at it. We're working with the NTSB. Uh, we can't verify anything. First of all, uh, I, you you kind of don't want to be out there dropping details of an ongoing investigation anyway, whether or not it exonerates your product. You just, you know, you, 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 you have to sort of keep it under wraps and let the thing play out. It seems like they need some media training. And part of the problem is Elon Musk.
2: (laughs) And well, I mean, you know, the problem, the problem there is, you know, Elon's going to do whatever Elon feels like doing, Yeah, you know, and you know, this is part of why they've got a revolving door in their PR department, uh, because nobody, you know, he doesn't listen to anybody. Um, he he does whatever he feels like that said you know again i i don't think it was necessarily wrong for tesla to acknowledge that yes autopilot was engaged at the time of the accident however you know the other stuff that was a lot of the other stuff that was in their statement the excuses they were making um you know i think they would have been better off not to say any of that stuff you know to leave that stuff to you know the investigators Um, You know, tell them, you know, and 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 just wait for them to complete their investigation, Uh, because, you know, as it is right now, they're uh, you know, they're they're basically trying to they were trying to it was clear they were trying to put the blame on the driver and. Granted, some of that blame does belong on the driver because he did not listen. He knew that there was a problem with the system. He did not pay attention to the alerts and he used the system as it's not intended to be used anyway. But so,
1: yeah, but, you know, like this is however many incidents in now. of Right. Well, that's,
2: I mean, that's also why I say that, you know, if a system is going to behave like that, if it's not going to behave consistently, which is, I mean, that's the fundamental problem with all these systems is they're inconsistent in their behavior. And if it's not going to behave consistently, then it should be turned off. It should not be used. You know, manufacturers need to turn them off until they can get them sorted out. Um, You know, and and frankly, you know, I'm, the more I drive a lot of these, you know, these partially automated systems, these level two systems, you know, like Autopilot and, you know, all the other various branded systems out there, the the more inclined I am, to the, the more I, uh, the more, the stronger my opinion gets that we should not even be offering these systems to customers. Yeah. Because I don't think that they are beneficial. You,
1: you know, it was an interesting contrast to go back and forth between the, 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 the seven hundred and forty. And the Crown Victoria because they're they're roughly the same size, um, but it was it was really interesting to go from a car that's <laughs> there's an
2: interesting contrast. Yeah, Ford I mean, Crown it, Victoria test the, the BMW 740. It's
1: it's it, certainly an unfair comparison, but it was just like they're both a couple hundred inches long. It, they're, they're both big cars, uh, and certainly one is a lot more basic than the other.
2: You could say that,
1: but there is a certain immediacy from that. That basicness, like we have bloated cars up with lots and lots of, of filter layers between driver and hardware. And so to get in something that that admittedly it's it's not anywhere near as good as the hardware that's in the BMW, but the immediacy of the way the machine works with you, and the fact that you don't have all these little electronic things doing their electronic things. And there's just like it, there's you, there's the wheel, there's cruise control you got the radio <laughs> that's it like oh it has it has climate control so it, it will automatically keep you comfortable ish i mean the seats are kind of crappy so it'll keep the, so the temperature <laughs> comfortable but you know what i mean like it, it's, it's just this interesting contrast uh, and, and I, I think that there's a lot to be said for examining that at least as an idea is like well, wait a minute what are we really doing to ourselves um I'm not sure that the, the rush to these systems is driven by anything other than having something else to sell. I mean, in the, in the case of companies that are developing autonomy, I think there's, there's a lot of other motivations. Um, but from a consumer level, like I, I would never pay extra for self, you know, self-driving cruise. I just, it's, it's not compelling enough to me. And I, I like driving. So I'm not really the, the target audience either. But uh, if I think if it were good enough, I would accept it a lot more. But I just I don't I don't think that it's it, it's not compelling. Like I said, it's, it's just not something that I, I I think should be in the cars because of, of what it does to your, your mental state. You know, you you want to check out. That's why it's there. Right. That's that's how it's sold as as a way to, you know, uh, sort of. Reduce the burden on the driver. Well, the problem is you've reduced the burden so that when something happens, when they need to be engaged, they don't. They're not ready for. Yeah, they don't understand what's going on. And and then you. And and that's
2: exactly what happened, you know, in the the Uber crash. You know, the that, you know the fatal crash in in uh, Tempe, Arizona. Uh, Yeah, yeah, that's right. the, The safety driver who was supposed to be paying attention was not. You know, the car. Drove along on its own, you know, enough, you know, that she relaxed and was not was not paying the attention that she should have been. And then, you know, when it hit somebody, you know, there you know, there was a fatality and that's not acceptable.
0: Yeah.
2: Uh, you know, And. Someday at some point in the future, we will, you know, autonomous vehicles, automated vehicles will probably be much safer than humans are. But the reality is that right now, at this moment in time, in, in April 2018, we don't actually have proof of that because, you know, the automated vehicles that are on the road you know, in terms of, you know, um, at least, you know, vehicles that are at least level four capable, which means that they're supposed to be able to operate on their own without human intervention, without a human having to take over. And that's what all these vehicles from Waymo and Uber and GM and Ford and everybody else are supposed to be. These are these are prototypes. All those vehicles have accumulated roughly somewhere less than 10 million miles of real world driving so far. And we know of one fatality right now as a result of that. And in normal driving in the United States right now, we have. We we have about 1.1 fatalities for every 100 million miles. So clearly, you know, a single data point, which is what we have right now from the Uber crash, is not statistically significant. That said, you know, people like Elon Musk are more than happy to uh, spout off, you know, statistically insignificant uh, data. And based on that, you know, we have one accident, you know, one fatality for 10 mil, less than 10 million miles of autonomous driving versus 1.1 for every hundred million miles of human driving. So yeah. we still at this point have not have not actually validated that these vehicles are, in fact, safer than humans.
1: Well, it's, And so it's this like you said, you've your opinion has evolved over time with having actually spent time and experience with these, these systems. And while they work. I, most of the time yeah i mean part of me just of feels the like we're we're just racing down this rabbit hole of of a, a parlor trick and you know and i i don't i don't know whether it's the best use of effort you know like what if we took some of the time and energy and and put it elsewhere you know, is what's the ultimate goal here? What, first like,
2: of all? like teaching humans to drive better. Well, there's there's Pay some of that, attention?
1: and that's not that's not the perfect solution either.
2: Um, no, it's not. But it, you know, it would certainly help.
1: It, I and, think you it know, would.
2: Yeah. Getting more drunk drivers off the road would help. You know, a, yeah. thir- a third of all the fatalities are due to drunk drivers.
1: Yeah. Well, and and uh, you know that we've seen a rise in in accidents because everybody's addicted to their little dopamine devices. So I I don't know the best way to counter that and certainly making the car watch out for you while you're going to distract yourself on purpose, no matter, you know, the fact that everybody knows that's super dangerous. I see people around me every day doing it anyway. Uh, yeah. Having a bunch of sensors and some automatic hardware, it's one solution. And you know, the automatic emergency braking seems to actually pay off a lot pedestrian detection seems to pay off probably a lot. So where's, where's the balance? I, I don't know. Um, I would hope that if we did invest in better driver's standards or, or something that we, we do see a a commensurate reduction in, in accidents. I, I, you know, part of it is that I'm a driver. I like to drive, right? So I want people around me to share the joy or at least just pay as much attention as I try to, uh, I don't know that it would 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 one hundred percent or would would statistically significantly reduce incidents. I you know my gut feeling is that it would, but who knows? Um, until we try it, we haven't tried it. It just it seems like there's that that subset of like fully autonomous driving that's trying to replace humans because humans are labor and therefore they're expensive. They want to do things like get paid, and unionize, and that's troublesome. <laughs> Um, and then there's,
2: you know, or, you know, get things like, you know, you know, health benefits and, you know, paid vacations. Yeah. And, and then know, they're going to go out well.
1: sick and they're going to, you know, you're going to have to call in somebody to cover to It's just a hassle. Um,
2: I know. You know, and then Humans there's are such a pain in the neck.
1: There's uh <laughs> there's that also the other subset of people who can't drive or who are less mobile. And, and
2: and that, that is, you know, that, that's actually a very legitimate thing, you know, I mean people who either can't or, Uh, or won't drive, you know, for whatever reason, whether it's because they're elderly or young or, you know, physically disabled in some way that prevents them from being able to drive or they just, you know, prefer not to drive, you know, and, you know, having, having options for those people, you know, I think is extremely valuable. You know, if we can, if we can provide mobility for people um, that's affordable and safe, I have no objections to that. But I just want to make sure that if we're going to do it through via technology, that, you know, we can actually, you know, make sure that it is going to be both affordable and safe.
1: Yeah, I I I don't know. I feel like I'm just going to just continue to complain about it for now. So let's just move on. Okay. Um, so while the New York water show was going on, and we'll get back to that. Um, you went the other direction to the other coast and you went to. um the NVIDIA GTC, right? The
2: yeah, the 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 NVIDIA GPU Technology Conference, yeah, which see, is uh, had big name. <laughs> yeah, one one of uh, several such conferences that uh, NVIDIA hosts uh, in locations around the world um, every year, and uh, they're the big one in San Jose, um, right uh, right near their headquarters. Um, happens to always, you know, be the last week of March. And this year that happened to coincide with the New York Auto Show, which is sometimes the last week of March and sometimes it's other dates, you know, because it's tied to Easter. Um, So this year, you know, I went out to uh, GTC because they were having lots of discussions about uh, autonomous vehicles and, and what NVIDIA is doing in that space. And um, you know, Nvidia is in terms of providing the the compute platforms for these automated vehicles. Nvidia is definitely one of the leaders in that space. They, um, you know, they have really moved aggressively to uh, make their chip technology be the you know trying to trying to make that be the preferred solution for automated vehicles <clears throat> and. Uh, that that means that they, um, you know, they are putting out some really high power chips, um, but they're also working aggressively to reduce the electrical power consumption of those chips. You know, when they when they started down this path a few years ago with their first generation of their Drive PX system, um, you know, they were using their Parker chip, you know, which was consuming a couple of hundred watts of power. Um, and you know now their their latest version, the Xavier, um, which co- actually combines um, you know a couple of different uh, chips that they were using previously onto a single a single piece of silicon. Uh, it now does uh, 30, 30 teraflops of uh, so thirty trillion operations per second um, at thirty watts of power consumption. And their their next generation one that they're now sampling uh, is called their their Drive PX Pegasus board. Does 320 trillion operations per second to do some really gnarly uh, AI calculations. Um, and uh, that that's it, they're doing some pretty incredible stuff. But one of the one of the neat things they're doing is their their simulation capabilities. So they're building these, um, server machines that are able to run really amazing simulations, you know, cause one of the issues, you know, I talked about, you know, that we've, you know, all between all the various companies that are developing autonomous vehicles, they've run, you know, somewhere less than 10 million miles on public roads, uh, of testing and, you know, with, uh, simulation, you know, with high powered simulation, you know, they can run. Millions of miles per day You know, running through You know, uh, hundreds of thousands Of different scenarios every day So every time you make changes in the software You can go back and rerun it Through all these scenarios and make sure that you You know, when you fixed one thing You haven't broken something else And that's going to be a key to all this
1: How does that actually work? Like, how does that train the AI? Because you're not actually running it out In in the real world, it's all (laughs) simulation So how, how does that...
2: Yeah. So, so what they, what they've been doing is, you know, they NVIDIA has a fleet of cars that are equipped with sensors that are not actually running autonomously um they're just going out and drive you know they've got drivers just going out and driving around collecting data and every company developing automated systems is doing the same thing that they're using their autonomous vehicles but they're also using other vehicles with sensors on there to go out and collect data about what's what's happening on the road you know getting into all these different scenarios and then they have to take the the, this raw sensor data it has to go through uh, it has to be processed you know with a lot of human intervention, um, you know, to go through and label everything. So they, they pick out the scenarios that look relevant and look interesting that, that they need to train the AIs with. And they go and label everything in there. So you label all the other vehicles, you label the pedestrians, you label cyclists, you label, you know, everything that you want to be able to recognize in that scene has to be labeled. And then that, uh, that data gets fed into the, the AI algorithms into these neural networks and you feed in all these different versions of data into it and that trains the neural network. Um, and, you know, then once you've, tra- once you've done the training, then you have to take another set of data, a completely different set of data that is not labeled. And, you know, Test it on that data because you, you don't want to test it on this on the same data that you already trained it on. You have to test it on different data. So that means you have to collect a whole bunch of data. Uh, but as I said, it all you know to, to do the training. You need you need good data. So you have to go through and find the stuff that's relevant and then it has to be accurately labeled. Um, and so that's where, you know, there's companies like, um, uh, uh, mighty AI and, and there's a couple of other companies that specialize in doing this kind of stuff, you know, so they'll take the raw data from companies like NVIDIA and Intel and others, and they'll do the labeling and then, and then give it back to them. Uh, and they'll also provide uh, other data for, for training purposes. Um, and then, you know, what they, what Nvidia announced last week, one of the things they announced is their uh, Drive Constellation and Drive Sim. So, Drive Constellation is basically this server platform that consists of a bunch of these Xavier chips, each one of which is used to simulate one of the sensors, and then a Pegasus board, which is their their big honking, you know, um, controller board for you know that's designed for a level five, a fully autonomous vehicle. Um, and then they feed the data into into these uh, into the sensors and run it through the algorithms that are running on the Pegasus uh, and what they can do is they can use their their um, graphics rendering capabilities that they have with their GPUs to take the, the the raw labeled data that they have and they can manipulate it so they can change the lighting conditions, you know, so they can move the sun around to all kinds of different angles and they can, um, you know, change the weather conditions so they can go from a clear sunny day to nighttime, to raining, to snow and test it, you know, so you can test the same scenario with all these different variations. So the, do, do uh, they need
1: like extra chips to make the weather? <laughs> like, yeah. Like,
2: yeah, that's that's part of what what all this you know what the Drive Constellation system does is it so Drive Sim is the software that runs all this, and Drive Constellation is the hardware platform that all this runs on, and uh, it's you know we're talking some serious computing horsepower here, but it's the only way that you can rack up millions of miles a day of of testing in all these different scenarios and actually be able to validate that this stuff really works,
1: huh? I mean that, and that's that, that's key. The the thing that you shared with uh with us over the the weekend too, with the just the 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 amount of raw power, uh, they had a system that was like petaflops of of, yeah. of data.
2: Well, that that yeah, that's that's something different. That's their uh, that's their DGX two platform, which is just this. It, uh, Jensen Wang, the founder and CEO of um of NVIDIA. He does these unbelievable keynotes. Yeah. You were pretty impressed with the presentation. Yeah. They, you know, they go on for like two and a half hours uh, usually. And, you know, the thing is he does all this without a script. You know, he just, he knows, he knows everything that's going on in his company. He understands all this technology. Um, And, you know, he just gets up there and he's got a a basic run of show. You know, these are the topics we're going to cover and they've got a bunch of slides, but he, he just, talks for two and a half hours, you know, and they do these live demos and it's pretty amazing. But the, the DGX2, he calls it the, you know, world's most powerful GPU. You know, that it's um, it uses 16 of NVIDIA's Volta chips, which are that's right now. That's their most powerful uh, individual graphics processor. It's got 16 of these in this box with this uh, new technology they call the NV switch um, that, you know, gives them you know multiple terabytes per second of data transfer so all all the chips in this box can talk to each other talk to any other chip in the box and, and it, it's just a huge amount of, of processing power
1: it sounds like a heater it sounds Uh like.
2: yeah well there is that too it <laughs> it, uh, it does it does generate a little bit of heat Uh <laughs> And, and, and consumes some electricity. Yeah. Although, you know, one of the things that, that, you know, NVIDIA has really been focusing on, you know, at their, uh, you know, their, their uh, research group is, you know, redesigning like the, the small, you know, the lowest level elements of these chips, the, what's known as the flip-flop, uh, to reduce the power consumption to actually switch the state of a flip-flop, which is the, that's the, that's the, you know, the the lowest level component of the transistors that, you know, that do all the calculations in a, in a processor. And, you know, they've, they've managed to cut the power consumption of a flip-flop to to change the state of a flip-flop by 40%, um, which is pretty amazing.
1: That's a lot of power reduction. That's, yeah, it is. You multiply that out by the amount of, of, you know, operations. So all of a sudden you're starting to, you, you talking real, real Watts and volts and amps and stuff.
2: Oh yeah. That's uh, and then big dollars.
1: Yeah. And, and just the amount of, uh, economy you can, you can then drive with that, you know, as, and that's, that's the thing, right? It's still, it's Moore's law, right? Uh, the, the technology is going to get more powerful and smaller and, and, or, or, or it's going to get more powerful, uh, on an ongoing basis, which will also allow us to shrink it at the same time. Um, And, and we've just, we've continued to see that over decades now. And it's, it seems like every time you you think that that may be coming to an end, uh, it continues to, to improve. Uh, I mean, there's,
2: there's... well, especially on the GPU side, you know, on the, the CPUs, you know, the, the, the main, you know, central processors, um, you know, that, that drive our computers, um, you know, those have kind of hit a brick wall in recent years. And basically the only way they're getting more performance out of those is by adding more cores to them. Well, I mean, but physics the, G- are the a GPUs thing. are still racing ahead.
1: Yeah. Well, and GPUs, like, because because they're more specialized processor. Right. So they they can still, you know, a CPU is such a, it's a general purpose
2: Well, it's 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 both specialized and 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 not specialized. You know, it's it's more about the way that the chip is architected, you know, because it it can do thousands of operations in parallel. Uh, So it's more it's it's more it's more of a, you know, these simplified um, operations, but, you know, doing thousands of them at the same time is what makes a GPU so powerful if you can figure out how to code to it and you know Nvidia has developed you know the software to be able to use these things for you know all kinds of different applications like you know they're using them in healthcare for for diagnostics you know for for rendering you know things that, you know the the data that's coming off of MRI machines and um, you know being able to do all kinds of things with that and as well as autonomous driving and you know countless other applications as well
1: so do you think that Nvidia is ahead of most players in the space or like it seemed like you were really impressed with Yeah, well players. I
2: think I think the the main you know their their main competitor right now you know at the the high end of the autonomous driving space is Intel and Mobileye. <laughs> and um I think you know right now I think Nvidia is ahead, you know, in Intel and Mobileye, you know, their their approach, their architectural approach is a little different from Nvidia's and you know, I, I from a pure performance standpoint it may or may not you know it it it, it's probably about a wash uh in terms of what the the capabilities are you know uh, intel has talked a lot about the 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 power efficiency of their system that but theirs isn't coming out till you know they're not going to be sampling it till 2019 you know and nvidia is sampling the Um, the Xavier parts now, you know, so, you know, they're, they've actually got, you know, real silicon that they're testing today and sharing with partner, you know, with their, with their partners, you know, OEMs and suppliers. And, you know, they're, so they're, you know, I think I'd say they're ahead right now, you know, they may not necessarily stay ahead forever, but right now I'd say that they're probably, they probably have the most capability of anybody uh, with their, with their processing capabilities for these, uh, for these automated vehicles. And the other thing that was really gratifying to hear, you know, from the people at NVIDIA is, you know, their focus on, you know, making sure that everything they're doing is, you know, there's a couple of different standards for functional safety, um, and security for, uh, for automotive systems. There's, you know, what's known as ASLD and, and ISO 262, um, and they're really focused on making sure all their parts are completely automotive grade, you know, so that they will be safe and reliable and, and robust um, in the automotive environment. And, you know, in the tech industry, that's not something you hear very often. I mean, they, you know, they, <laughs> they, they tend not to focus too much on safety. Um,
1: of, so of you know, any it's good, kind. Good to hear clearly.
2: Yeah. So, <laughs> it's, so it's good to hear NVIDIA, you know, really put in a lot of emphasis on that.
1: Well, and that has to be a, uh, a key part of it is um, you have to sacrifice some of that speed to make some of the, the reliability and and guaranteed performance um, and safety when you're, you're putting this stuff out. Uh, You know, I I can understand how that, that makes you chafe on the one hand, when you're trying to drive this, this vast technological change and and just build these systems, but you, you almost have to slow yourself down and be like, wait, is it going to work at all temperature extremes? Like, uh, is it going to be robust enough? Is it going to it succumb to vibration in this environment? The automotive is a really harsh environment.
2: and Oh, yeah. I mean, you know, these things have to work from minus 40 to 120 degrees Fahrenheit. You know, uh, you know, they have to deal with, um, you know, the vibration, as you said, you know, the cooling, uh, you know, especially when you've got high-powered computers in there. You know, they they're, they generate a lot of heat, and, you know, you've got to dissipate that heat somewhere,
1: yeah, it's, and so I guess the last thing I think about too is like is this stuff more and more possible or is it only possible with the move to 48 volt with the, the heat that we're talking about that's power consumption and you know, we can we can pack as much power as we want on board these cars but uh, at 12 volts it, they're, they're, you do bump up against limits that are, are practical uh, and so is 48 volts going to make it, it uh, more possible to continue to to add these features and to shrink this stuff down so that it's, it's viable or is that? Yeah.
2: I mean, you know, 48 volt is, you know, generally considered to be the practical minimum for autonomous vehicles. And, and, you know, really, you know, what we're going to end up seeing for most of these is high voltage systems. So they're going to be either, either hybrid plug-in hybrid or battery, electric, or, or perhaps fuel cell, um, you know, high voltage systems to, to really get enough electrical power, to both for the computers, the actuators, and also for the, all the sensors, you know, the sensors take a lot of power as well.
1: Yeah. Or we can just, um, get like a, a Mr. Fusion or a, <laughs> uh, a very small nuclear reactor probably. Yeah,
2: or, 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 you know, you could go take a, you know, a defensive driving course for a couple hundred bucks. Um, <laughs> and you know, just be more careful, put your phone down, you know, and, uh, you know, get a car with a manual transmission and and no uh, no electronics in it and just drive it.
1: I was thinking today that um, a motorcycle would be a good antidote to it. But then I, you know, with my luck, I'd get plowed into by somebody. I wouldn't hit anybody, but, you
2: know. Yeah, you'd, you'd get hit by a Tesla on autopilot.
1: Yeah, <laughs> that's great. <laughs> All right, let's move on. Uh, the New York show happened, too. And so there was a bunch of. Uh, announcements at that show I think probably the most uh, sort of like the top three or at least the the sort of splashiest for us were um, obviously the Lincoln Aviator I think probably tops a lot of lists it it was just it was an impressive debut Uh, good to see them working in what I feel is the right direction and what I say is is definitely the most important thing Um, the Volkswagen since when since now uh, <laughs> my kids are asleep, so I'm in charge again. Um, oh, okay. <laughs> the Volkswagen Tano Tanoac? Tan I think it's Tanoac. Um, I think so, yeah. And the uh, the new
2: Nissan Altima maybe, maybe that's Volkswagen's real problem is they just they got to come up with names that people can actually pronounce.
1: Yeah, uh, that's not going to be their problem with that. So, anyway, um, <laughs> we should let you know what? Let's start with the 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 best one, right? Uh, the the aviator. So, uh that clearly uh, made an impression.
2: Yeah. Um, you know, the, the aviator name is back. You know, the last time uh, Lincoln had a, a model with that name, it was a, a Lincoln badge version of the Ford Explorer. And uh, what do you know? This is a Lincoln badge version of, of the next generation Ford Explorer. But
1: Smartly. They're rolling out the Lincoln first. Yes. Um, and so, honestly, the, the re and you mentioned last, I guess it was last week that I should, I should come up with a, an ad campaign for lincoln and so the reintroduction of the aviator gives me a hook for the ad campaign so i'm thinking about it and we'll get back to that we'll we'll, we'll do something and then we'll put it in front of of uh lincoln and see what happens um but anyway uh yeah It so it's it's an all-new platform
2: it's uh yeah it's an all-new platform uh you know this is one of um the five, uh, let's see, five flexible architectures that uh, they talked about a few weeks ago uh, going forward. So, you know, those, those five were, you know, front wheel drive, unibody, rear wheel drive, unibody, body on frame, commercial van, and the EVs. Um, and so this is on their new rear drive slash all wheel drive unibody platform. Uh, so, you know, this, uh, you know, this particular one that they the, what they showed is a concept, which will be coming in production probably sometime early 2019, uh, and will probably look very much like this concept. I don't think it's going to diverge very much from this concept, much as the the Navigator, you know, and the Continental before it both stayed pretty close to their concept versions. Um, you know, this one has uh, an EcoBoost, or well, actually, Lincoln is not using the EcoBoost branding anymore. It's just a twin-turbo, direct-injected V6. They should call um, it Twin Force it
1: was supposed <laughs> to be Twin Force.
2: Yeah, well, that's yeah. I mean, it's it's the original uh, iteration of it, and the the MKR concept was Twin Force. Was such a good um, name. Yep. But anyway, um, you know, so you've got this engine in there and it's a plug in hybrid and no details yet on any of the the plug in hybrid stuff, what the range or anything else is going to be, you know, but presumably um, the the basic hybrid drive unit is going to be a variation of the same one that is currently being developed for uh, the F-150 and the Mustang um and you know it'll be applied here with a bigger battery to make it a plug-in hybrid it'll probably have somewhere in the range of 25 to 30 miles of electric drive range um, and you know I think I think this is probably the the best iteration yet of the the new Lincoln design language
1: I think it's lovely inside and out I they've done a really fantastic job uh, m- making this vehicle look good i, I saw I, I think it was autoblog that said uh you know it looks good for a three row crossover or maybe it was jalopnik either or this is like no no no. it just looks good it's a nice yeah. you know sharp looking design language it it's uh it really works here and it, it's gonna stand out on the road um i i really really love the interior theme it's just it's sort of low it's, and it's very well, it's, it's very
2: much like the navigator. Yeah
1: it's very in, clean. inside. Yeah. Um the the platform I think is probably the most interesting thing to me. Just like, okay, so it's a unibody, it's so it's rear wheel drive based and uh it looked like um Alex Kirstein from Autoblog was peeking under it and he seemed to, to think that the IRS, uh, the independent rear suspension shared quite a bit uh, with the Mustang. Um, which isn't like, that's not that much of a surprise. That's smart, quite honestly, if you're an automaker and you have those. Yeah. Well,
2: you know, I, I don't know. I, I can't guarantee that it would actually share any, that there would be any interchangeable parts with the Mustang, but I'm almost certain, you know, I mean, it would be crazy for Ford, um, not to use the same architecture as the Mustang, uh, in the back, which is, you know, it's an inner, you know, what they call an integral link. Uh, layout. And, you know, that, that uh, suspension layout actually first came out on the, uh, the Fusion and Mondale. So, you know, they, they took that, they derived, you know, took a, a variation of that and applied it to the Mustang, and now you know, I'm sure they're taking another variation of that to apply it to these uh, SUVs. You know, so there's probably some beefier components. The dimensions, you know, are probably a little bit different. You know, they yeah. may have different track and uh, you know um, some of the other dimensions, but it's the same basic type of layout. And it's a system that works really well and provides a, a great balance of uh, both ride quality and handling capabilities.
1: Yeah, and I would assume too that they you know maybe where the Mustang has um, aluminum arms, you might have something like a, a steel arm or something. Mm, or not necessarily like cast versus forged or just something you know.
2: Yeah, maybe I don't. It's I don't probably. It's probably still mostly aluminum. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, you're right. I mean, they may, they may use some forgings and in place of castings for some extra strength, um, or, you know, use some steel components, certainly different things like different bushings and, you know, the, the exact dimensions might be different as well. So they're, they're, you know, I would guess they're probably not going to be interchangeable with a Mustang, but, you know, if you lay them side by side, you can see that it's the same basic type of suspension layout.
1: Well, that's, I mean, that's fine. And for years, yeah. the Mustang hey, and the works, Explorer had that, it. uh, the, the same basic, you know, live axle. So <laughs> yeah, why should it be any different? <laughs> exactly. Um, and you, I think you Mustang guys now will go out and they'll snag the, uh, the 8.8s out of the, um, the, f- the last of the first gen explorers, uh, because they did have the, they did have the, uh, live axle with the disc brakes. Jeep guys do it too because the eight point eights are really stout. They're they're good axle. And so you can beat
2: yeah, them. Yeah, they, they 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 go really nicely into uh uh you know an S197 or or Fox body.
1: Yeah. Um so there's there's all kinds of trickery for it. And you know if you have the parts, you might as well use them. Um so the other I think the other sort of biggest introduction, uh, at least out of our tiny list here, is the the Volkswagen Tanoac and there were rumors of a Volkswagen pickup truck. I just like, I'm underwhelmed. I don't think it's going to do well. I think it's going to fail in the market. And I have uh, legitimate thoughts about that other than not liking it. But uh, what's your take on it? Well,
2: I mean, I think it actually looks kind of cool. It definitely Um, looks cool. Yeah. You know, it, you know, it's, it's based on the, um, the Atlas platform. So, you know, basically, um, you know, Volkswagen has, you know, Torn a page out of the uh, Honda playbook, you know where you've got the Ridgeline that's based on the same platform as the the Pilot and the um, Odyssey, and you know so Volkswagen's done the same thing here. Uh, you know it's a unibody setup, you know front slash all wheel drive. Um, why do you, I mean? Why do you think this will fail?
1: Well, so Ass-
2: assuming assuming they even build it because right now this is just a concept.
1: Yeah, and it's not a it's not a terrible concept. It, like I think that if Volkswagen were to introduce a pickup truck on the Atlas sort of architecture, they, they could sell a number of them. Um, I, I don't think they should get their hopes up, but you know, there's, there are people who like the Volkswagen way of doing things that, you know, might otherwise purchase a truck, but they, they don't have something that they like enough. Uh, and there's that weirdness factor as well that, that sort of works in, in favor there. But you know, this, Concept, it's it's not a crew cab, and that like Honda, they made the the Ridgeline a crew cab, and I think that's a really smart move, because that the, the Ridgeline is, is supposed to be the, the, you know, the suburban truck, right? It's the weekend warrior pickup. It's the perfect pickup for the occasional pickup user. Uh, it has enough towing that it, it, you know it's it's going to do fine for what most people should be towing. Anyway, uh, it's super comfortable, it's roomy, it's well-equipped, it's uh, well-priced against the full-size pickups that offer the same level of equipment and, and space and, and, and that kind of stuff. So the, the Tanoac, uh, I think, again, I think it's actually other than Tano, I, I don't know. But anyway, um, it's an extended cab. So that right there, less practical. And you get you know, less interior space And it's harder to use. Uh, Not only that, um, while the new, the, the new fuel economy regs that are supposed to sort of take more of a bite out of trucks are, are in in question right now with what's going on with the EPA. uh, The extended cab was sort of poised to take over. I mean, the, the uh, crew cab is kind of poised to take over the, uh, the, the truck market anyway, because small footprint trucks um, need to return better fuel economy. And that's the thing is it's the, and there's a great pickuptrucks.com post about this. Um, the regular cab pickup has the smallest footprint of all pickups. And there's like a, a measurement based thing that you do to figure mm-hmm. out what the actual footprint of it is. And that's what determines the fuel economy that's supposed to. It's
2: basically, determine. the wheelbase times the track.
1: Yeah. Um, and, and so when you get a longer pickup, the footprint is larger. It's fuel economy requirements are lower. And with all of the efficiencies automakers have found, it's easier to hit that target. It's less expensive. uh, And if you don't hit it, you don't ding the cafe as much and you don't pay fines and stuff. So I, I feel like uh, they have to carefully position this truck um, to, to work in the market. And I don't think that it's positioned correctly. At this point, I could be totally wrong. I just think that there's a lot of practical reasons that could sink it.
2: I, 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 I don't totally disagree with you, but let me, you know, make some of the, you know, potential case for, you know, how this might work out, uh, if they decide to move forward with it. So first of all, um, you know, I, I would not be at all surprised. Um, you know, if, if, uh, VW does move ahead, you know, and produce this thing, um, I, I would guess that they probably will do a proper crew cab version. Excuse me. Woo. Um, Late night. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, I, you know, I think, I think it'll be, a, you know, they would do it as a, as a, as a crew cab with probably a little bit longer wheelbase than what we see on this concept, uh, you know, to, to accommodate, you know, a full set of doors and, and some extra leg room in that second row. Um, and then, you know, Part of the, the rationale for doing this would be to, you know, get some extra um, economies of scale out of the um, you know, out of what they're already doing for the Atlas. You know, so they're they're all you know, they're they also showed, you know, this uh, another Atlas variant, a two row Atlas variant, you know, a coupe. Uh, what they call and calling a coupe version of it um i forget the exact I, name I think of it's
1: it it's the atlas cross isn't it or something like that
2: yeah uh, something something like yeah. that or sport cross or something silly like that or cross sport it's the atlas cross sport
1: it's a crossover cross cross yeah. sport but, cross yeah you know, the, the
2: thing the thing is you know all, all these you know they're using you know a, a, they're using the same platform and a lot of the same hardware underneath so you know they can get some extra volume out of it With probably a relatively minimal uh, engineering investment uh, compared to developing a you know complete vehicle from the ground up, Um, and then the other thing I would expect them to do, you know, on this and you know actually the entire. Atlas lineup would be, you know, VW has been quite aggressive. Uh, they're being quite aggressive on on a lot of their vehicles uh, in Europe already, and, and they'll be starting here uh, later this year on their premium brands uh, in the U.S. with 48 volt electrical systems. Uh, you know, so they're. You know, instead of going back to diesel, they're they're, they're using forty eight volt electrical systems and mild hybrids, which can help. You know, so they could do, um, you know, both the V six and potentially a four cylinder version of this with a forty eight volt electrical system that you know gives extra torque, um, you know, to give it some extra payload capability and, and everything else. So they could potentially, you know, um, have a vehicle that would help them get some extra volume, some extra margins, uh, profit margins and without hurting their, their cafe numbers too much.
1: Okay. I mean, I, I, I don't think, I mean,
2: I, I, I don't know for sure that that's what they would do. Um, but I, you know, I'm just making the counter argument to what you just said. No,
1: And honestly, like I, more truck trace is not a bad thing, especially in a, a slightly more manageable size than the, the behemoths, um, that the, you know, the mainstream, the, the sort of big three are making. Um, it's going to be really hard to compete on price with those trucks. That's all. And so they've got to offer something different and, you know, a Volkswagen pickup that has a novelty factor. So I, Hey,
2: it, Hey, it remember work. the last Volkswagen pickup sold in America? Uh, it was
1: the caddy. What's <laughs> the
2: rabbit? Uh, the rabbit. Yeah. yeah.
1: Which was super cool and half useless, but also super <laughs> cool. Um, especially yeah, when you maybe, swap. Maybe
2: more than half useless, but yeah.
1: I mean, it was always interesting when you'd see one that had GTI stuff swapped into it. Yeah. (laughs) Um. Yeah. All right. So the last thing from New York was the uh, the Nissan Altima, and I kind of um I yawned at that. I don't know if it's uh it's me or just the car or the late hour. I I don't know. What was your you have it on the list here? What was your take about it?
2: Well, there's a couple couple interesting things about this. I mean, you know, the design, you know, that's always a, a subjective thing, you know, but there's clearly, you know, heavily inspired by the, uh, the V-Motion 2 concept from last year at the Detroit show. Uh, you know, they, they've taken that and basically toned it down a little bit uh, to create this Altima. Uh, but there's some interesting technical aspects of this. Um, you know, they are ditching the V6 engine for this Altima. And this is going to be the first Nissan branded vehicle with the variable compression ratio four cylinder that just recently debuted in the infinity QX 50, uh, which should be mm. a bit very interesting uh, solution in here. Um, you know, and they claim that uh, that that engine uh, gets 27% better fuel economy than the V uh, six, which is pretty, pretty substantial. Yeah. yeah.
1: Um, I'm, I, then the V six is like, the VQ is not the most fuel efficient V6 in the world. Let's let's be honest. But no. like still that's that's pretty good. Almost thirty percent. Uh that's a big number.
2: It is, and uh, and then the other thing that's going on here uh, that they're going to offer on here is uh, their Pro Pilot Assist system, which um, you know is debuted on the uh, in, at least in North America debuted on the Rogue last fall and is also available on the Leaf now, um, and that's you know Nissan's first pass at you know a level two ish, you know, uh, semi-automated system, you know, kind of autopilot like, um, you know, and it's, I think, you know, it's, it's a bit, um, I think it's a bit less capable than, than some of the other systems out there. Uh, on the other hand, you know, my experience with it in the leaf, uh, and also in the, in the Rogue, when we did the preview drive last summer, um, was it was actually quite good. You know, quite quite good at what it can do, and very consistent. Um, and you know, I think it's probably more consistent than uh, than the Tesla system. Uh, and you know, they, they Nissan promises to uh, keep upgrading it. Although I don't think that they're going to offer functional upgrades to the cars they're selling now. But you know the. And, you know, cars coming in 2019 and, and beyond, it will be getting additional functionality, like the ability to do auto lane changes and so on. Um, so that, you know, that w- this will be the first, you know, kind of mainstream mid midsize sedan to offer that kind of capability.
1: Well, I mean, Nissan, again, like we were just talking about having something unique to offer within a, a niche. And you know, it, this is a, it's all of a sudden mainstream midsize sedans are kind of a quiet place to be and and yet if you're gonna have any hope of of continued success with them because they still sell they just they're not crossovers at the moment crossovers are are super hot uh when people get tired of that they can default back to to cars and and uh, um you know having some unique things first of all nissan nissan styling has been pretty uh Interesting on its own. Uh, like the the Altima itself is not my favorite, um, but I really like the the Maxima. Um, and put it this this new Altima looks good, uh, and it, it looks like an evolution, and it has a, a vibe about it, so that that's good. Um, and then you know the the variable compression engine and uh, their level of tech uh, it has been good. They've been Nissan has been good about putting tech in the cars. Um, even going back to, uh, when they've, when NAV first started getting real popular, you know, Nissan's system was better than others and and, uh, now it's kind of quaint, but it's, it's still pretty good, uh, if limited, uh, and it's gotten better. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how well it does out there in the market against, you know, we were talking about the Accord at the beginning of the show, you know, how, how it stacks up against sort of the king of, of the segment.
2: Yeah, you know, it's. I mean, there's, there certainly looks like there's, you know, a lot of interesting bits about this car, and you know, we'll just have to wait to see how it actually drives. Um, but uh, and you know, how, as you say, how it does in the market. I mean, you know, certainly the the midsize sedan market is still, you know, almost two million vehicles a year, even as it you know has been continuing to shrink. Um, so that's still a lot of cars that get sold in that segment.
1: So. Are they sharing this at all with, um, with Renault or uh, any of the other business units?
2: Oh yeah, um, yeah. I, I'm sure that you know the the platform of this Nissan, of this Altima, you know, will be shared with um, other um, new Renault and uh, also Mitsubishi. Uh, models going forward. Oh,
1: that's right. You
2: know, as well as you know, additional uh, Nissan models. Like you know, we'll probably see the the next generation Rogue uh, will probably be based on this this platform architecture. You know, maybe even the pat, next generation Pathfinder. Um, you know, so I mean, everybody's designing their 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 architectures to be um, more more flexible, so they can be stretched in different ways and or shrunk uh, as needed for different applications.
1: Yeah. Hey, anything they can do to make the Pathfinder drive better i'm down with that thing is uh, so <laughs> it's big and not fun um yeah I, for, I forgot about uh that they they're tied up with mitsubishi now so uh they could bring out a new so maybe,
2: maybe we'll get a new galant yeah. you know that's actually a halfway decent car
1: <laughs> all right uh well with that um let's see let's look at the rest of the list uh did, did we had just uh waymo jaguar you had a do you have an interview uh. with them
2: uh, no, uh, they were in New York. I was in California. Um, just wanted to mention that, you know, they uh, Waymo hooked up with Jaguar Land Rover oh, oh. and is going to buy up to uh, 20,000 I-Paces uh, with their and put their automated driving system on it uh, to offer as a premium option. Um, you know, premium mobility service option, you know, so you'll have the, you know, kind of the mainstream stuff with the Chrysler Pacifica hybrids, uh, and then the the Jag I-Pace, you know, as your up-level offering. And then there's uh, some reports out today that um, Waymo is very close to a deal with, um, with Honda uh, for a, an automated delivery vehicle, which would not be based on any current uh, production vehicle, but rather be something that's specifically designed uh, for doing deliveries. Which is, it's, it's an interesting approach uh, by Waymo. Um, you know, if you look at you know, like Ford, for example, you know they're you know they're designing their uh, their autonomous vehicle uh, specifically to be autonomous, but you know to be flexible enough to use the same vehicle for carrying passengers, delivering packages, and things like that. Um, you know, and to keep it. Um, active all day long, you know, and keep it generating revenue. Whereas, you know, Waymo is taking vehicles that are more specific to each use case, um, which may end up hurting their their utilization numbers for these vehicles. But it may make the vehicles themselves more appealing for the different use cases, depending on on how it gets executed uh, by Ford or, or other companies following that kind of model. Um, So it'll be it'll be interesting to see how this all works out from a business standpoint for Waymo.
1: Yeah, I mean, I'm a little annoyed that everybody continues to go high end with this stuff versus like, you know, take that most basic car take. I'm trying to think of like, okay if you're going to deal with Ford, like uh, take that tiny little three cylinder Fiesta, make that thing autonomous. Make it cheap and accessible um, versus Jaguar. But I, I guess an autonomous Jaguar has a lot more cachet.
2: Well, you know, you also, you know, you have to look at the business case. You know, if if you can uh, create a business, a, a service around a Jaguar that you can charge a higher price point for, you know, you've got a more premium experience in that vehicle. You know, perhaps you guarantee shorter wait times, things like that. Um, know you may have the potential for more profitability from that vehicle it could offset you know perhaps the uh lower margins on you know something like uh you know like like a uh, like an autonomous fiesta um you know i think you know what what ford seems to be leaning towards is something more along the lines of you know kind of a next generation transit connect yeah, that is autonomous, you know, and that has a flexible interior that, you know, you can drop the seats down, put in some racks for packages you know, use it for package delivery at certain times of the day. You know, use it to carry people at other times of the day, um, you know, so that you've got the same vehicles in operation, you know, 20 20 plus hours a day or more, um, you know, doing doing revenue generating work. Um, like a, so like we'll, a train. <laughs> yes yeah, you know or or an airliner or
1: an airliner, you know. yeah but i mean that's that's a great model that when you think about it um you know there's, there's still going to be some humps to to just convince the public that that's what they want to do but i could see that having limited success in in certain areas at least at first too it, it could be very successful in somewhere like an urban core for sure
2: yeah and you know i'm sure that uh that Ford will also be, you know, using you know some Lincoln branded vehicles, you know, to offer something similar to what Waymo is planning with, uh, with Jaguar and you know what what other uh, premium brands are doing. So I mean, we're going to see a, a, a spectrum of different kinds of vehicles. You know, and I mean, you talked about you know using small vehicles. You know, look at what GM's doing. They're they're using the Bolt you know as their autonomous their first autonomous platform so that's basically you know what you just asked for yeah Uh, but it's just just not waymo
1: you know true um
2: but you know waymo's not done yet you know i mean you know who who knows who else they will cut deals with that's you know they've got they've got chrysler you know and they've got jaguar now and and potentially honda and and who you know who knows what else will come along
1: all right well in the meantime uh, we'll just uh, try to avoid the self-driving cars because they're going to try to crash into us. <laughs> <laughs> so um, so it, it, it turns out, in terms of uh, reader questions and feedback, I think we managed to sell somebody uh, TLX A <laughs> Yeah,
2: it looks like that. <laughs> uh, who was it? it Richard Sequentis. Yeah, he uh, looks like he picked up a a, a blue uh, TLX spec today, which uh, is fantastic. And as you say, that is a great color. That is that is the color I would choose uh, if given the option. Yeah,
1: I really liked the white one that I had. I, mean, I loved that car. Was, that's a cool yeah. car. Um And it's. A, I'm sure he got a good deal because it's a good deal anyway. Um, we also had a question. Uh, we talked about the the Altima. Um, what do we think of the new rav four and the new Altima uh, was a question from Jared henshaw on the on twitter so uh quickly your your thoughts on the the rav four
2: um it's uh, another compact crossover and uh <laughs> you know, <laughs> you know it, it's you know, it's, it's typical of the, you know, kind of the direction that, um, Toyota is going now with their design. Um, you know, it's, it's more styled, uh, than before. Oh, yeah. Um, you know, and, and, and like the, uh, uh, like the, um, current generation, um, Islander, uh, you know, it, they've made it a little more truck-like this time around, uh, compared to the previous generation. Um, you know, it's, it's not bad. I, you know, I, I haven't seen it in person, so right. you know um, it, it's hard to say for sure. But you know, certainly from the the photos I've seen, you know, it, it looks fine. Um, you know, I'm I'm not an SUV person myself. You know, uh, I'm not, okay, I'm not inclined to buy the that sort of vehicle. That an
1: SUV anyway.
2: <laughs> he, well, that there's that, or or a you know a crossover yeah. or you know anything like that. Um, so. You know, I, I think I think I'm sure it will do just fine in the marketplace. You
1: know, I, every time I see it, I I mistake it at first for um, the Forester. So I don't know what that says about it. Uh, I think it's fine. Um, my hope is that they have upgraded the interior and uh, the infotainment to really uh, play in the segment. Because the last time I was in a RAV4, those were two areas that were lacking i really have not been enamored with um toyota's interior materials and design and even fit and finish um over the years uh, you know some some cars have been better than others but uh, i hope that they they have have stepped it up there because the competition certainly has so uh, from the outside it's lovely and I, it looks like there's a little bit more variety with different versions or at least different concepts mm-hmm. that they they showed so i yeah,
2: yeah i mean you, you know you've got some some two-tone uh, approaches you know kind of like what uh, jeep's been doing with the um, the compass you know where you can get contrasting uh, roof colors you know so black or white roof you know on a on a you know different uh, lower body um, you know it I think it, it definitely looks a little truckier. I mean, there's it's it's kind of like a, a mix of you know what they've done on the the current generation Highlander, a bit of the CHR, um, you know, and and a bit of the uh, the Camry, you know, all kind of blended in here. And, you know, I'm, I'm sure that, you know, within a couple of years, this will be Toyota's best selling vehicle in North America. You know, it'll probably overtake the um, overtake the. Uh, um the camry and the corolla and, and become their best-selling vehicle just like the crv and the rogue have done for honda and nissan
1: yeah and they you know what they deserve it they've <laughs> they've been selling the hell out of it i'm not a huge fan of the rav4 but i, I yeah. recommend it all the time because it's like what do you want okay you want something that's just going to go places and not break yeah you want a rav4 yeah, like, um, well, I mean,
2: you know, you could, you, you know, a CRV would yeah. would be just as good in that case, or, or, the or a Rogue,
1: or the Rogue, know, or a Forester. I've recommended the Rogue too. I actually I like the Rogue um, quite a bit. Uh, yeah. See, so we all talk. We just talked about how we don't like crossovers, and then we just recommended like five of them to ourselves.
2: Um, well. No, not to ourselves. (laughs) You know, to to the the general consumer out there that insists on buying a compact crossover instead of buying a proper car, like they should. That's true. You know, if you must buy a crossover, you know, any of these are viable options for you.
1: Sure. Um, All right. One more thing before we go. Uh, Do you want to answer the
2: question from Peter from Bavaria, or save that for next week? uh,
1: You know what? Uh, I was going to say, why don't we answer? But let's let's save. Let's leave it for next week. week. Yeah. Yeah. As it's even running long and we made you yawn already so uh,
2: sure. yeah well and and you know I've got some things to say on this topic um, so oh all right uh, so yeah let's let's save that one so we, we will get to your question Peter
1: yeah and you know it's interesting that it came in before stuff happened so yeah it's a different yeah. perspective to look at. all right so that is it for podcast uh, for episode what 63 of wheel bearings. So, uh we'll catch everybody next week.
2: All right, see ya.
1: When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Mail checks, invoices, documents, and everything you need to keep your business running. Get rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS. And with the mobile app, you can take care of mailing on the go. Make the same no-brainer decisions as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com.
0: Sign up at Stamps.com with code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable.